if you want to make your way to your chairs, that would be great. Uh, again, man, I'm so excited for this morning. It's going to be good. I'm really, really grateful for you uh, being here this morning. Uh, I just want to tell you guys, uh, man, it is fast. You blink and it is like gone. I mean, kids, it is, whew, this last week, you know what we did in my house? We went to new sixth grader orientation up at Piper uh, Ranch uh, Middle School. And so we brought my little one, Ryan, my oldest one, Ryan, over to Piper Ranch. And uh, I was, Maggie was sick that day. And so I took her and uh, I was a nervous wreck. I was so scared for her. And we get to the school and I, she, she's gone. Poof! She finds her friends and I don't see her the rest of the night. And I'm like, oh, this is already heartbreaking. But you blink and it's just like, gosh, I have a sixth grader. It's, it's crazy. But those years of first things are such a big deal, aren't they? Like the first time you hold your child. The first time, praise Jesus, they're old enough to grab the passy and put it back in their mouth. Woo, that's a good day right there. The first time you can get like solid food down on them and they sleep through the night. The first time... You drop them off at grandparents' house, and it's like, oh, there you are. I remember, bride, I really like you, <laughs> you know? It's not us, it's them, you know? Uh, but the year first is a big deal. Um, do you remember this first right here? Uh, next slide. Do you remember that first, your first bicycle? This is my oldest, Ryan. When did we start wearing elbow pads and helmets? I mean, did anybody do that when you were little? I was like, maybe you're kind of a dork. But uh, um, that's what we did. I think she's about five years old in this picture. And the only thing that she wanted for her birthday, Daddy, please, the only thing I want is a bike. Dad, you just got to get me a bike. And that was what we got her um, for her birthday that year. And you know the routine, mom, dad, if you've ever done that before, you take them out to the street, you find a long straightaway, and hopefully there's no cars on either side. You kind of line them up and you say, all right, baby girl, Ryan, you got to listen to me now. I need you to hear what I'm telling you, and I need you to do exactly what I'm telling you. You got to be disciplined in this. And here's what I want you to do, Ryan. It's actually more difficult the slower you go. So you got to pedal fast. We're going to go fast on your bike. And I'm going to hold you on, under your seat, and I'm going to start running down the street with you, and you're going to pedal fast, and then you're going to do what you knew how to, you know, what you've been doing with your training wheels on, and we're just going to pedal, and I'm going to let you go, and you got this. And the next thing you know, you're like, Mom, come outside. She's got it. She's doing it herself. She's, she's riding her bike, and... Oh, that special moment where she just takes off and it's like, oh, she did it. This is such a big one. Do you all remember that moment? It is a, it's a powerful one. Um, question for you to consider this morning. Would any of you ha ever have looked at me and said this? Stop being controlling to your kids, John. <laughs> all you want them to do is be obedient and disciplined and listen to you. Why are you trying to control them? No. That's ridiculous. None of, you would, none of us would ever say that. We would say, what you're doing uh, when she listens to you or she's obedient to you, you're teaching her how that, that where she is is actually there's, there's something more in store for her. And if she steps into the more, what does she experience? Joy and, and excitement and life of riding her bike for the first time. But none of us would say that's controlling so here's where we're going to go, be going this morning, friends. Next slide. Here's where we're going. Obedience 
is the bridge between who you are and who God is inviting you to become. That oftentimes, whenever we talk about obedience, just be obedient, does obedience really sound like a good thing or bad thing to you? <laughs> to me, I'm like, ooh, obedient, that's, that's a negative term for me. That's, my mind kind of naturally leans that way. But what we're going to see this morning um, is that obedience is actually a gift from God, that it actually takes where we are and allows us to become the people that God is inviting us to become when we step out in obedience. So brothers and sisters, welcome to Romans chapter 12. That's where we're going to be headed this morning. If you have your Bibles, grab your Bibles, open them up. You can go to the Bible app. Uh, go to connecttoriverside.com and just scroll to the bottom and open up the Bible app. And you can follow along. All the notes and slides and stuff will be up there for you. You're going to want to follow along. But we are in Romans chapter 12. And Romans chapter 12 is the hinge of the book for Romans. Um, most theologians and scholars would say, uh, that the first part of Romans, the first 11 chap chapters, are very heady, all about having right thoughts and understanding and about the character and nature of who, who God is. But the hinge for the book of Romans is chapter 12. And from that point on, it goes from having right thoughts about God to how do you begin to walk that out. And what was funny was, um, when I was in seminary, uh, it was like my last semester in seminary, and I was tired, and I was cranky. I was commuting to Austin, and one of my teachers had just gone crazy. And so I raised my hand, and I say, um, so what makes somebody a scholar or a theologian? And she goes, oh, that's real simple. You just have to get a bunch of people to agree with you. And I said, that's it? That means all of you this morning can be scholars and theologians just by getting people to agree with you. Uh, but everyone will say that from this point on, the theologians will say that Paul is going to get very, very practical. That up until this point, Paul has been mainly concerned about orthodoxy, meaning right thinking about the nature and character of God. But from this point on, he's going to shift that to doxology, which is right living. How do you respond to the nature and character of who Christ is? And so up until this point, that's that we've been focusing on the character and nature and the goodness of God. And now Paul is shifting that, and he's going to show you this is how you should live. If all of this is true... This is what a follower of Christ's life looks like. So if you have been wanting us to dig in and to get real practical, today's your day. From this point on in the book of Romans, we will see, in fact, in this chapter, or in the first 11 chapters, I think there's about 15 times where Paul gives you a commandment. But in chapter 12, there's like 13 commandments alone in chapter 12. So Paul is going to be very clear. This is what a life of following Jesus looks like. This is what it looks like to live a surrendered life. This is what it looks like when you walk out the good news of who Jesus Christ is. And so Romans chapter 12, we're going to be starting in verse 1. Let's pray together as we jump in. And so God, it's uh, such a privilege to open your word together. God, we believe that every time we do, we can uh, hear your voice. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come right now and illuminate what you would like to say this morning? God, I have nothing good apart from you and your words. And so, may your heart be on my lips this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, ooh, excuse me. Starting in verse 1, it says this. 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. We're going to pause right there just for a second. It says, in view of God's mercy. So remember, Paul has been showing us the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his heart and his character for 11 chapters. And up until this point, he says, therefore, because of all of that, because of not just you've been forgiven, but because you've been forgiven, you've been declared righteous, you've declared perfect in God's sights, because it's not because it's no longer you who lives, but Christ lives inside of you. I urge you, brothers and sisters, of this mercy, I want to show you how to live. And so this is where we're going to be parking it this morning. Because there is a foundational truth, friends, that we have to build our lives on this morning. Something that is central for every single believer to understand and to, and to, uh, and to get into our bones. Is that obedience is a gift from God. That faithfulness to God, obedience to Him, listening to His words, and stepping out in that is a gift from God. Because what you are doing, every time you take a step of obedience, you are banking your life on the character and nature of who Jesus Christ is. Every time you step forward with faith, you are banking on the character and nature of who Jesus Christ is. Or you could say the right thinking about God, what we've been doing for 11 chapters, should lead to a right response. And obedience always produces joy. Obedience always produces joy. Ryan, all right, girl, here you go. I got your bike. Just listen to dad. I'm going to tell you how to do it. And we start running. And what does she experience? Joy. She gets it. She starts riding. She's, she's become something more than what she was. And she gets to taste and experience joy. And every time you step out in obedience, there's an opportunity for the Lord to produce more and more joy inside of you. So as followers of Christ, we don't obey Jesus Christ to get some type of reward, although there is plenty. Obedience, catch this part, obedience is the reward. Obedience is the reward because it's the way that God produces joy inside of us. A couple things uh, to check out in this. Oh, go back one. A couple things to check out in this passage. It's, there's a couple of words I want us to see. Uh, and the first one is that the last sentence, it says, this is your true and proper worship. Now, in the English translation, we lose a little bit of the, of the, of the bone or the meat in that. But the idea is where it says, this is your true and proper worship. That word true is this word, actually. Uh, Logikos. It's the word logical. It's where we get the word what, what's logical about something. And so what Paul is saying, in view of God's mercy, in view of everything that you have experienced for the last 11 weeks about the character and heart and the goodness of God, your only logical response is to say, God, it's all yours. God, I give you my life as an act of worship. Here are the keys, God. Here is the throne of my life. You are the boss. You are the quarterback. You are the CEO. You are in charge. You are the savior. You are my friend. It is all yours. And what Paul wants you to see this morning is it's your only logical response. That is the logical response to the goodness of God is to offer your life as a living sacrifice. That word living sacrifice right there is a very... Uh, um, 
a, a particular word. It's a particular phrase that Paul uses here. And for the original uh, authors, uh, or the original recipients of that, the Jewish Jews in Rome, that would have triggered a couple of points in, in the course of history. You start talking about a living sacrifice, you know where that would have taken them? Abraham and Isaac. It would have been the first place their minds wandered to. And if you, just to refresh your memory about the story of Abraham and Isaac, God comes to Abraham and he tells Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And through your kids, I'm going to be a blessing. And blessing will flow from them. And I will actually build a nation out of your family lineage through, through your kids. And Abraham was like, awesome, Lord. That sounds fantastic. But the problem is a lot of years pass by and he's barren. That Him and his wife, Sarah, don't have any children in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And when she's 90 years old, she gets pregnant. That a boy. I mean, come on. That'll preach to somebody this morning. When she's 90 years old, she gets pregnant by Abraham. And God, we think in days and moments, and God thinks in like decades and years. And so God is faithful to Abraham when she is, uh, God is faithful to Abraham. And at 90 years old, she gives birth to her son named Isaac. And the story, this is the part of the story, honestly, I, I, I don't, there's parts of the Bible that I don't like. And this is one of the parts of the Bible that's very painful to kind of engage and to uh, have it actually in there. And the story goes that God tells Abraham to take his one and only son whom he loves and sacrifice him on the altar up on this mountain. Crazy story, right? It's a very gut-riching, pour-out, like rip-your-heart-out type of story. It's very, very, it's a difficult one. And as Abraham and Isaac are walking up to this mountain, I want to show you what it says right here. Go to the next slide. It says this. He said to his servant that's walking with Abraham and Isaac, stay with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. And we will worship and then we will come back down. I'll leave that up on the screen just for a second. So what is the picture? What is, what is, what is going on here? is that God tells Abraham to lay down his son's life, to sacrifice his son as a what? Living sacrifice. Now, a couple of things I want you to notice in this story. Look at what it says in the last sentence. We will worship and then I will come back down. Does it say that? No. What does it say? We will worship and we will come back down. So even in the midst of uh, Abraham getting news that is like, how are you going to do this, Lord? You've made me a promise, and now you're asking me to do the impossible. He still has the faith inside of him that says, I don't even know how it's going to happen, but we're going to go up, and we both going to come back down. And that's how the story unfolds. That's, how, that's actually how it goes. Just as a side note for you, there's a thing in the Bible called the um, first use. It's where the very first time that term gets used in the Bible, from that point on, that's how you understand the meaning of that word. Do you know when the Bible, the first mention of love in the Bible is? Abraham and Isaac. God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, right? So what is the picture there? What is the first use 
oftentimes we talk about love as, oh, I love that person. My heart is towards them. I have so much affection for them. But the Bible speaks of love as somebody that's, that's sacrificial, that lays their life down on behalf of another. That's a very different way of understanding what it means to love somebody. Fast forward 2,000 years later, and God will complete this story. On the same mountain where Abraham took his son Isaac, uh, uh, pause just so, just I want to finish that story. God provided a substitute, ram, and uh, Abraham sacrificed this ram on the altar. There was a substitute that God provided. But fast forward 2,000 years later, on the same mountain that story takes place, God completes the rest of the story. Jesus is fixing to go to the cross, and he's going to offer his life as a what? Living sacrifice. He's going to crawl on the altar and lay down his life, right? But this time, God does not provide a substitute. He walks forward and lays down his life and we get, that we get the substitute of Jesus in our place. It's powerful for us to see what is the picture of this living sacrifice that Paul wants you to know this morning. Here it is. Oh, oh shoot, shoot, shoot. Uh, let me, let me, I missed this part. So right before Jesus goes to the cross in verse 26, it says, When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Another way to read that, when they worshiped. When they worshiped, he went to the Mount of Olives to lay down his life. What is the picture that Paul is painting? Next slide. Is that worship is willful obedience. That worship is willful obedience. That when you and I have a right thought about the character and nature of the heart of God, the invitation is to respond rightly. That when you believe the right things about God, you will respond rightly when you know who he is and you see his character and you see his heart for you. That should invite us to respond rightly because of who he is. Now, here's the problem with that. Uh, It's easy to talk about this, but really difficult when it knocks on your front door. Why is that true? Well, I believe one of the reasons is because we have an enemy, (laughs) There is a real adversary that is coming against you and your family. And we uh, are in a spiritual battle. And I want to pause just for a second. I've been here two years at Riverside in this capacity, serving as the senior pastor. And you know how many times that I've talked about spiritual warfare on Sunday mornings? Zero. Do you know why that is? Not because it's, is it because it's not a big deal? No, it's a really big deal. Um, is it because it's not a problem for us? No, it's a big problem. Is it, is it because? No. The reason I don't talk about it is really, really simple. If you want to grow a really healthy green yard, what do you want to do? You want to grow the grass. That's one strategy. Another strategy to grow a healthy lawn is to what? Go out there and pick weeds. And every time you pick a weed, something else is going to pop right back up. So the way you grow a healthy yard is you want to grow grass, and the grass will choke out all those weeds. And that's what I want to do too. It's not that spiritual warfare is not real or not a big deal, but I want to grow the grass of my life. I want to seed the soil to grow Jesus inside of me. In fact, it's what Jesus says. He says, I am the 
light of the world, right? The light does not argue with the darkness. That you just turn the lights on and the darkness has to flee. And so I want to be somebody that just keeps turning the lights on. I don't spend a whole lot of time in the spiritual realm just warring against the enemy. I just turn the lights on. Because when you turn the lights on, the enemy has to flee. You can't argue with the light of Christ that is living inside of me. But you have to understand that it is real. The enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy. Not to make your life more difficult, but to actually ruin your life. The enemy wants you to believe that you can find soul-satisfying soul satisfying life outside of holiness. That you and I believe that we can find deep-rooted joy apart from stepping out in obedience. The enemy wants us to believe that we can live a half-measured life where we only step halfway in, where we only believe with part of us, where we only are convicted some of the times. This was real for me, uh, oh, last week. We had a picture day at school. And my littlest one is Maggie, and she's eight. And so every good parent knows you pick out clothes the night before. Because <laughs> if you pick out clothes that morning, it's World War III. <laughs> it is a fight. And so we pick out our clothes at night. And uh, so we get up in the morning. All right, Mags, come on, let's get you dressed. I, get her, I take them to school, do all that. So I get her dressed. She throws herself on the ground, and she just starts crying. Daddy, these pants are too big, and she's tugging on them. I don't like them. People are going to make fun of me. And I knew exactly right then. This is a dad win, which doesn't happen for me all that time, all that often. But I knew exactly what was happening in that moment. The enemy was whispering to her, you're different. You don't fit in. People are going to make fun of you because you look a little off. The outside, Maggie, matters more than the inside. Your value is determined by what you're wearing. And I knew exactly in that moment what I, what a, what I should do. I grab her and I stick her on the counter real gently, right? And I stick her on the counter and I lock eyes with her so she, we're at the same level. And I say, baby girl, listen, I need you to hear this because this is true. If God has a favorite list, you're at the top, <laughs> When God looks at you, you know what he says about the lilies of the field? They're pale in comparison to how beautiful God created you. That God sees your inside and says you are beautiful, and God sees the outside, and he says, well done. He's showing off with you, Maggie, and you have to drown out any whisper in your head that's going to remind you of who you're not. We only lean into who you are. I'm like, oh, dad win. That was a good one. I got that one. But the enemy loves to have this pattern play in our life. Think, care, chase. Think, care, chase. Think, care, chase. If you and I can be thinking about it and thinking about it, then we're going to care about it. We're going to care about it. And then we're going to chase after those things. And Paul is going to show us right here that the battle is actually not out there, but it's in our minds that we, we battle here in our heads. And look at what it says. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The battle is in your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Next slide. I want you to understand this. Conformed is from the outside in, that you have to clean yourself up on the outside to be approved on the inside. 
the gospel flips that upside down and says, the gospel is always an inside out type of thing. Don't be conformed by the patterns of this world, those spiritual forces that are only going to lie to you and remind you of who you're not. You want to build uh, from the inside out. We've been talking about this. I'm counting on you. I'm counting on you this morning. We've been talking about this forever. Romans 8.1, therefore, now there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. That's a building term, condemnation. It means unfit for use, that the enemy's native tongue for you is, you know what the problem with you is? You, you are the problem with you. Just look at who do you think you are. You can never measure up. You can never be good enough. You are the problem with you. That's a con- condemnation. Condemn is a building term. You know what another building term is? Transformed. That best way to think about what it means to be transformed is to renovate. That it is renovation, that God wants to renovate something. Think Chip and JoJo, right? Like, uh, um, think the, the gains, how they, where they're, the fixer upper show, where they'll see this dilapidated, broken down house. And they're, that's not impressive. And they'll walk inside and they'll say, oh man, something beautiful exists here. This house has really good bones. We want to bring what's here and just amplify it. And then they go room by room, project by project. And by the end of it, people are falling on the ground. Oh, Lordy, it's my house. It's my house. I can't believe I get to live here. It's beautiful again. And you know what God says about you? That's what I'm going to do to you. I'm going to occupy you. I'm going to renovate you one room at a time, one project at a time, one step at a time, one piece at a time. Absolutely. Um, salvation happens in a moment. Boom. We, get, we belong to Jesus, and then there's a process called sanctification. It's that process where God takes this thing that used to be dead, and it brings it to life, and we call that being born again. But then we get our baby legs that don't know how to walk at all. And God, sanctification is the process where God steadies us and he grows us up so that we look more and more like his son. And he does that by the renewal of our minds, by the renewing of our minds or right thinking about God. Listen, ain't nobody get spiritual abs overnight. <laughs> it does not happen. God goes room by room project by project, and he fills your mind with right thoughts about who he is so that you and I can respond rightly to him. Now, let's bring it home this morning on spring break week. I'm proud of you people. (laughs) Spring break week, what in the world are you going to do about this? If this is true, that obedience is the bridge from who you are to the person that God is inviting you to become, how are you going to be willing to take a step of faith? I would guarantee that the vast majority of us in here probably already know what our next step is. It's probably been on your heart for a really long time. You've probably known whatever step that is that you needed to take. You've probably known about that for a really, really long time. Look at this quote that I found the other, the other day when I was thinking about this morning. This is from A.W. Tozer, which you don't want to mess with him. Have you ever noticed how much praying for revival has been going on of late and how little revival has actually resulted? I believe that the problem is 
that we have been trying to substitute praying for obeying. And it simply will not work. Question for you considered this morning. Have you been praying about something for a really long time? And the Lord is like, stop it. Stop praying. Get going. Take a step of faith. One ounce of obedience will outproduce months and months of prayer time. One ounce of obedience will outproduce one, months and months of prayer time. I know it sounds crazy. I know, what I'm, I know what I'm saying. But so many of us get to this place where we're like, when Ryan is on the bike, Dad, I believe I should ride the bike. I believe I can ride the bike. All right, Ryan, let's get out there and ride your bike. No, Dad, I've been praying about it. I'm good. And we think praying is the same thing as stepping out in obedience. And I believe, brothers, sisters, that God is calling you to joy and you experience joy by taking a step in obedience. Do you know that that conversation that you've been needing to have for like a really long time? Or that area of conviction where you're like, man, it's just time. Do you know that secret part of you that you keep hidden that you don't want to tell anybody about? Like, like that junk is going to kill you. And I know because I have them too and I sit there and I pray about them forever. And God is like, come on, just take a step of obedience. It's where your heart's going to find joy. Just take a step of obedience. Maybe for you this morning, I don't know what it is, but if, if, we're, if the battle is in our mind, maybe we need more right thoughts about God in our mind. Maybe we need to filter out the garbage. Listen, I know the temptation is to say, I'm just so busy. <laughs> I'm just so busy. It's hard for me to find time to meet with the Lord. It's hard, hard for me to like get in his word. It's hard for me to enjoy like commune with him. But yet we'll spend hours watching The Office. <laughs> or we'll spend hours on Netflix. Or we'll spend hours doing all sorts of other junk. And all we're doing is filling our mind with stuff that does not produce the type of joy that God invites us to. What would it look like for you to think rightly, to fill your mind with right thoughts about God so that you can take a step of obedience towards him? God will meet you in that. So let's do this together this morning. Let's close our eyes as we, as we wrap it up this morning. What is the thing that maybe you've been praying about for a really long time. It's like been on your heart for like, oh man. Whew. Let that thing kind of bubble up right now. What is that thing you've put off? What is that conversation? What is that addiction? What is that distraction? That it's time to stop praying about. That it is time for you just to take a step in. To take a step in obedience and experience joy.
so, Father, right now, God, we, I mean, listen, we've been talking about this for 11 chapters, so we're not going to get tangled up in all of it, but, but God, we, we're going to be people of action. We're going to be people that say it with our lives. People that take a step, that are willing to fail, that are willing to risk. So God, would you help us believe that obedience to you is a gift from you. God, we will be faithful. God, we will be people of great courage and great hope. And so for myself and for my friends here this morning, Father, would you help us be the type of people that live empowered lives by the Holy Spirit that will take one step of obedience right now. In Christ's name we pray, amen.